Hey humans, happy Earth Day. That's right. Today, April 22nd, is Earth Day. And this year, Earth Day is celebrating its 50th anniversary. And that just feels important. 50 years, that's a long time. But as we thought about Earth Day and what it means to us, what experiences we've had during its celebration and what impact, if any, it's made in our day-to-day lives, or even the wider environmental movement, we couldn't help but wonder how the annual celebration got its start. Presently, we know that Earth Day is celebrated worldwide by millions upon millions of people. In a normal year, there are parades and festivals, rallies and protests, concerts and conferences. Unfortunately, COVID-19 is wreaking havoc on all of those in-person plans, and rightly so. In-person rallies will have to take a backseat for a while, but we still have the internet, and Earth Day will go on, virtually. But even that got us thinking, what's the meaning of Earth Day? Why do we celebrate it on just this one day? Shouldn't it be every day, and is the day itself even working to make progress for the environment? And the answer to those questions, we found out, is just up the road from us, in a quiet seaside city known for one of the world's best waves and the start of the modern environmental movement. So we called up a couple friends. First up is Connor Coffin, professional surfer on the men's championship tour and one of our pure ambassadors. So you grew up in Santa Barbara. Tell us about Santa Barbara. Tell us why is that place special? Uh, gosh, Santa Barbara is special for a ton of reasons. I think mostly just the beauty and we have a gorgeous coastline um, and a great town, yeah. I've always said that I think it's so special because the mountains sort of meet the ocean. It just opened so many doors as a young kid to go up into the mountains and mountain bike and hike and all that. And then obviously having the ocean and for me, um, surfing and gravitating towards that whole culture uh, was incredible. That's Lakey Peterson, another professional surfer on the championship tour who calls Santa Barbara home. She's also a peer ambassador and is always willing to partner with environmental programs globally and within her community. One of them that she introduced us to is Santa Barbara Channel Keeper. This is Kira Redman, Channel Keeper's executive director. And it's just, you know, a hot spot for biodiversity. We've got all kinds of whales and dolphins and other you know, loads of different types of fish that that migrate through or live in the Santa Barbara Channel. So it's just a really very rich um, biodiversity in the channel. They call it the American Riviera with mountains behind and a beautiful ocean in front. And um, there's a lot of tourism and agriculture education here. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just a you know really beautiful small city. Hello, my name is Michael Chiakos and I'm the Director of Energy and Climate Programs at Community Environmental Council. I'm based in uh, Santa Barbara and my favorite surf break is Rincon. Rincon, AKA the queen of the coast, is well known as one of California's best waves. And it even ranks globally on some surfers' lists. Maybe that's why the area also produces some incredibly talented surfers, including current competitors and guests in this episode, Lakey and Connor, as well as Sage Erickson, but also world champions Tom Curran and Kim Murick, and legends like Chris Brown, Bobby Martinez, and Dane Reynolds. So there's an incredible surfing tradition in Santa Barbara, but there's also this rich environmental legacy. That legacy and the resulting environmental impact is thanks to the hard work of a lot of environmentalists who would like to keep Santa Barbara beautiful. But it's not easy, 
and their struggle is at the root of the city's history as the birthplace of Earth Day. The Community Environmental Council, one of the groups who annually holds one of the largest Earth Day festivals around, knows the story well. We were founded in 1970. A group of concerned citizens came together and said, hey, you know, we have to do something. Probably heard about the 1969 oil spill. There's uh, a couple dozen offshore platforms off of California, and uh, in 1969, one of them spilled about 4 million gallons of oil in, in the Santa Barbara Channel, um, which is also home to some of California's best surf breaks. And uh, this was this huge, devastating, and real big wake-up call for the nation. The power of what man can do to destroy the environment. Growing up in Santa Barbara, you know, we still have all the oil rigs out in the channel there. You can see them, and it's kind of like a Santa Barbara thing. You know, it's a, sometimes they almost look pretty at night and people take photos and stuff like that. But it's always been a known thing when I was growing up. Um, you know, there's naturally a lot of tar on all of our beaches along the Santa Barbara coastline in Goleta. Yeah, it's funny. So you said something there that it almost felt, it, to me, it almost felt like it was accepted that we just have oil rigs off our coast as kids. And that's they're just there and they're just doing their thing when really yeah. you know i didn't grow up with oil rigs off my coast i remember the first time i saw one i was like whoa what is this thing you know yeah. um, it was so unnatural to me and yet it had been made natural to you as a result of just being there prior to you, you know, yeah being yeah no totally it's like it's weird because i honestly until i got a bit older and, and started learning about the environment and what oil rigs are and what they're doing it was like yeah it's santa barbara i don't know they light up at night and it's kind of pretty looking like so it is sort of bizarre in, in that way. And I think now there's obviously so much. more. Connor Coffin had a similar experience with the omnipresent oil rigs in Santa Barbara. One of the things that Lakey brought up uh, that I thought was interesting is she mentioned how growing up in Santa Barbara, the oil rigs are offshore and they're just kind of there and ever present. And to me, that was such a weird thing because... I grew up where there wasn't oil rigs offshore. And I, when I first saw oil rigs offshore, I was kind of taken aback by that. And so you don't yeah. even mention them in your description of Santa Barbara. You just kind of like, yeah, it's the mountains and the ocean, all that stuff. So it almost for feels sure. like you accept that they're there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, since I've been, since I've grown up, the oil rigs have just been part of the scenery and at night they're kind of twinkly and pretty, but you know, obviously that's changed a lot. And I mean, Santa Barbara as a whole used to be a much bigger oil community. There used to be piers and stuff all along Summerlin Beach and Carpinteria and down by Rincon and stuff. So, you know, I think over the years they've pulled back on a lot of that, which has been good. And our coastline, for the most part, it's really beautiful and pristine. So, um, yeah, I mean, the old pictures of Carp and Summerlin and stuff with the oil piers up and down the whole coastline are are disgusting. So I'm glad that that's not here anymore. When I first moved here from San Francisco, I, it really bothered me. It took, you know, it was like, how could these hideous things be just despoiling the, one of the most beautiful views in California? So we've been really involved in all kinds of oil issues in the Santa Barbara Channel. We've always worked really closely with EDC and all the other local environmental groups that work on oil issues because we have a lot of oil in the Santa Barbara Channel. The EDC is the Environmental Defense Center. We spoke with Linda Kropp, their chief counsel. Santa Barbara has great pride in its environmental stature in the world, really, because of the 1969 oil spill and everything that happened after that. The blowout from Platform A in the channel caused massive environmental damage and really I think woke up the 
not only our local community, but the whole country and the world really to the devastating impacts of an oil spill like that on the environment and on the human communities and the wildlife that that depend on it. If you look up photos of the spill, you can see how bad it was. Thick black oil covering beaches, cormorants soaked in the stuff. There's even an image of a surfer standing on the shore, his board marred with oil. There was also a ton of press, and the incident even drew then-President Nixon into the fray. As the spill quickly became national news, and for many, was the flashpoint of the environmental movement that had been smoldering since Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, was released in 1962. Legislatively, it was a massive period. I mean, I think it was the most environmental laws passed in a, in a given time frame in, in our history. And it, it launched a whole policy process that ended up in the, the creation of all of our nation's bedrock environmental laws, the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, the Endangered Species Act. The 1969 oil spill spawned so many movements. Um, it is credited with launching the modern environmental movement across the country. Here locally, there's still a, a tremendous connection. Several organizations, including the Environmental Defense Center, were formed as a direct result. The Environmental Defense Center was formed to empower the community, to enhance environmental protection, and to enforce all the new laws that came about because of the oil spill. We have other groups in town that formed specifically to fight offshore oil development, which is still a threat today, um, to provide environmental advocacy or education. The Environmental Studies Program out at UC Santa Barbara is one of the first in the nation that was established back in 1970, right after the spill. And Santa Barbara is where the Declaration of Environmental Rights was written following the oil spill by some professors out at UCSB. And that led to the enactment of the very first modern environmental law in the nation, the National Environmental Policy Act. The professor Linda's referring to is Roderick Fraser Nash, who wrote the declaration from a sailboat he took out to the nearby Channel Islands. The declaration, which was read at the first anniversary of the 1969 spill, and was later read into the U.S. congressional record, begins, all people have the right to an environment capable of sustaining life and promoting happiness. So there's a, a great history here. Um, all of these organizations and entities still exist. We're still doing the work, and people feel very tied back to the 1969 oil spill. Yeah, yeah, that's our, our formation story after the after the oil spill. We were uh, founded in 1970, so the, the year after the oil spill, and a, a group of concerned citizens came together and said, hey, you know, we have to do something. And over the last 50 years, we've really worked on environmental solutions. So we're very, um, you know, forward focused. Over the years, we've worked on uh, hazardous waste reduction, organic gardening and farming, pesticide reduction, and uh, about 15 years ago, we focused to entirely work on climate change issues, energy, and you know, we really saw climate change and the transition to a sustainable energy as the, the big challenge of our, uh, really of our century. And so back in 2005, we totally refocused and now that's what we work on exclusively. With the, the CEC being formed you know, in and around the oil spill of 1969 and then you know, the first 
Earth Day uh, in 1970, it feels like maybe Earth Day is pretty important or special to the CEC and or to the Santa Barbara community. Is that true? Definitely. So we put on the uh, the first Earth Day or there was a bunch of Earth Days that happened across the nation um, that year in 1970. Now, uh, the Santa Barbara Earth Day is one of the largest Earth Day festivals in the country. Um, Over two days, we usually get around 30 to 40,000 people. And we have, yeah, hundreds of organizations coming out. It's really the biggest opportunity of the year for a lot of the nonprofit organizations to get out and talk to the community. So one big part of Earth Day is how it builds community around solutions. And that community building has been key. In the years immediately following the oil spill, there was tremendous forward environmental progress because everyone was on the same side. When I look back at what happened in just a couple years after the 1969 oil spill, Congress enacted the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Safe Drinking Water Act, the Coastal Zone Management Act, the Endangered Species Act, you know, so many amazing laws that we still rely on to this day Those laws were passed with a bipartisan Congress, and they were signed by President Nixon, a Republican. So we have to stop thinking about environmental protection in a partisan way. The environment, you know, the health of our wildlife, the health of our communities, the health of our people affects everybody. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. We're all in this together, and we need to be proud of the fact of what happened in the early 1970s, and we need to try to replicate that again. Linda's right. In the years after the oil spill of 1969, the U.S. government passed multiple pieces of landmark legislation with bipartisan support. What we realized then is that the earth is our home. It is fragile, we humans can harm it, and we must put in legislation to protect it. And yet, even with many regulations and victories defending the coast, we continue to witness its desecration from drilling. And even in Santa Barbara. Kira explains. So in May of 2015, the Plains All-American Pipeline burst and spilled 143,000 gallons of oil, um, over 20,000 of which went into the Santa Barbara Channel. And it just, you know, it spoiled, you know, over 40 miles of coastline, was oiled. Hundreds of birds and and marine mammals were killed and just devastating impact on our local economy. It happened right before um, Memorial Day weekend. So camping on that very popular beach was closed. Fisheries were closed and just had a massive impact on the local economy and the community that that uses that beach. And obviously the impacts to wildlife were, were devastating as well. I think you highlight a really good point you're highlighting how many further reaching impacts there are that are not just some birds, not just some fish, but our local economy, our community, the health of the people in and around those waterways. And there's so much more to it than just saving a couple seabirds. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point. I mean, California's coastal economy is, you know, in the billions of dollars. And when an oil spill like this happens, it's devastating for the economy. And so how does that feel, you know, particularly now and today, even with some of the rollbacks or at least the, you know, loosening of the EPA as someone who is in and around that legal 
world, you know, how, how, do, how do you feel about all that work that was done and what we're seeing today? Well, beginning in January 2017, it has been an onslaught. There are the obvious threats, such as the proposal to open up our entire coast to more oil drilling, which is crazy to even think about 50 years later that we would grant new oil leases and start another 50 years of oil development off of our coast. But that's a real threat. Um, we cannot survive another four years of this. And a lot of groups, a lot of states, a lot of cities are filing lawsuits against the federal government. But, you know, we shouldn't be just fighting rollbacks. We should be advancing environmental policy and protection. Get any environmentalist to open up and they'll likely share the struggle of seeing all the very real threats and losses while at the same time remaining optimistic, hopeful, and just courageous in spite of them. That grit and resilience is so important. It's imperative that we keep advancing environmental policy, and there are a ton of ways to do so. You can simply support the nonprofits who are working to affect change. You can write letters to your representatives or show up at city council meetings when the environment is on the line. And of course, you can directly vote for candidates and policies who authentically prioritize the environment. That is huge. We need to continue to put in the work now for future generations. Connor, at least, recognizes the effort. A lot of those things happened before I was alive, so I'm, I guess I'm the lucky benefactor of a lot of the work that's been done by people before me in this community, and um, I get to reap the benefits of that, so I'm super grateful for that. In general, this is just such a beautiful little community that it makes sense that a bad event here would have stemmed you know, a lot of action across the world. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And I think as I spoke to some of the different groups for this conversation, this podcast, it was incredible to see how much work they've done that I think so many of us don't even get to see because the reality is, is that like an oil spill is a very visible form of pollution mm-hmm. and it's a horrible incident, but so many things could be so much worse, but because they're not, we're like, oh, you know, we're losing the war, so to speak, right? I think if you zoom out the big picture, climate change is really real, plastic pollution is really bad. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that could bring you down the environmental movement. But as I spoke to these groups in your hometown who are like, well, we were able to get X, Y, and Z bills passed and we we're able to prevent X number of offshore drilling permits. And I went, Oh my goodness, like all this work that goes unseen kind of yeah. just keeps things the status quo it's it's pretty incredible but i feel like you're what you're saying is that you respect and appreciate that that's going on in and around you just makes me all the more appreciative for the place that i live and the people that have you know preserved it yeah i mean you're very fortunate in a in a normal year you're traveling around the world you know this year is a little different with COVID 19 yeah. of course but in your normal year, you're all over the map. You're, you're traveling on the championship tour and taking other trips and stuff like that. So you see a lot of the world. And it's, I think it's kind of cool. You actually, I don't know, maybe you have this little extra badge of honor now of, <laughs> of the, the Earth Day and environmental movement that you can take with you. Yeah, and I think it, it also makes you realize when you have that perspective of traveling the world and seeing what some other places are like, it really makes you appreciate where you're from. I mean, when you're from somewhere like Santa Barbara, so... Um, super fortunate in that way and I also think it's cool to see the way people uh, take initiative in other parts of the world too that do have big problems and they're not overwhelmed by those bigger problems and they might not even have the resources that we might have here to help 
take care of them, but they're, you know, all for it and they're working hard to try to make a difference. Yeah, I think that's one of the incredible things. You know, I think often we get into this conversation and it's uh, it's about individual actions versus big systemic change. And, and the reality is we need both. You know, the individual yeah. cleaning up their beach is not going to stop ocean plastic pollution and is not going to save the ocean. But when lots of people do that and get engaged in the fight and then go collectively vote together, it becomes really powerful. For sure. And it's cool to see the smaller individual movements pay off and create a bigger systemic reaction to something. And like even, you know, just the beach cleanups. Now you see people doing them all over the world and people really making a dent in some of the plastic. And that hopefully swims upstream and starts to tackle the problem at a deeper level. Connor makes a really salient point about individual and collective action. And COVID-19 shows that we really can make a massive impact when we collaborate. But still, that coordination to make systems change gets harder and harder the further upstream you swim. Here's Kira looking at the international environmental movement. It's hard for countries with such disparate levels of development and different interests to agree on something that massive. And for the biggest countries like the United States who have the most to do, but also really the most to lose, they're, you know, their self-interest doing right by our planet collectively as, as, you know, different countries that are all inhabitants of the same planet. It's just really challenging. Yeah. I'm interested to see how COVID-19 will affect that thinking. I know many of us are wondering what life will be like after COVID-19 when all this is over. And it's probably not as simple as that. And I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm fairly certain things will be different. And I do think there's a lot of room for positive change. Eyes are being peeled open to see firsthand how interconnected and interdependent we all are. It possibly feels similar to how all the activists felt back in 1969, realizing how connected we are and realizing our own fragility. If you even look up photos from the first Earth Day, you'll notice an incredible similarity to our present moment. People are wearing masks. They didn't have to do it for survival the way we all are now, of course, but there are all these photos of demonstrators wearing gas masks, medical masks, and the like. They're highlighting the air pollution we'd see in the future if we didn't course correct. The other thing that now stands out are the crowds. Massive, passionate, the likes of which we hadn't seen in recent years, not until Greta Thunberg came along and reignited the movement with the youth climate strikes. Sadly, those strikes, too, are sidelined by COVID-19. But the passion hasn't died. It's just going digital. What tips do you have for people on this Earth Day, the 50th anniversary? Everybody's kind of shuttered in right now, so we've got time on our hands to kind of learn and do better. And Channel Keeper recently just put out a list of kind of things you can do while you're shut in at home to examine and address your environmental footprint. I think there's a lot of easy and cool things that can be done at the individual level, the household level. What does Earth Day mean in light of where we are today in that there was an oil spill so long ago to start it? Earth Day is always, you know, a time where I can really use like my social media platform. I always feel like it's a blessing that I, I have this platform to, to speak out on and raise awareness for people. That's pretty powerful. Like, Seeing what people can do nowadays just with social media and and making changes, like even right now with our situation 
with the coronavirus and how everyone's able to kind of come together and stay inside and create rules and make change. That sort of stuff's really hopeful for me, like with Earth Day coming up and what the voice we can really create to those around us and using our platforms. So I do feel really hopeful in the fact that there are so many people passionate about our Earth and, and that's why we have things like Earth Day to raise more awareness about it and how we're gonna change it. Things that I think easily get passed up in day-to-day -day social media, people seem to be taking more time to read into and like I've known even just with my silly gardening posts and stuff, people are actually way more engaged in that sort of content than normally when life's hustling and bustling. So that's kind of cool. I think it's a nice time for people to be able to kind of slow down and look at some of these picture, bigger pictures. And, you know, for us, like on the environmental side, it seems like people have a little bit more of an attention span for that. And I think with these big problems, it's like people want to see positive change come out of that. And it's a good opportunity for some good things to come out of this. Yeah, it's funny. I spoke with Mike from the you know uh, CEC and we talked about the individual level versus the community level and the importance of those two paths happening in parallel right we all need to do our part as individuals but that's not what's creating the big change it's big systems change will come from us coalescing and voting together and you know sh sharing our voice around certain issues and really getting alignment at the big structural level it's imperative though that we get organized and get educated at that grassroots level, like with our neighbors. I would suggest in this time of feeling kind of overwhelmed and isolated is find a group that you connect to that does something that you feel passionate about where you can activate yourself as well. I think getting out there and doing something is the best way to, you know, get over that feeling of oppression and, and things being overwhelming is to find you know, one thing that you can do. It's a great way to not only commemorate Earth Day each year, but it's a way to bring people together and thousands and thousands of people come and people get inspired and it's very uplifting. It's not just looking backwards, it's looking forwards and it's not just looking at what we're fighting, but what we aspire to. Earth Day provides a great opportunity to bring together so people feel like they're not alone. When they get together for a celebration like that, um, they feel you know, very empowered. They come away more educated, hopefully with some ideas of how to take action. And I think for some people, they'll focus on the bigger issues like climate change. And then for some people, they'll pick something more local. And that's all important. You know, we all can find our niche and we can all find what you know, makes us feel effective and how we can make a difference. So birthday brings it all together in one place. Rachel Carson, the famed marine biologist who wrote Silent Spring and sparked the environmental movement said it best, in nature, nothing exists alone. So this Earth Day, take a moment to reflect on your connections to nature, to your favorite trails, to your local surf spots, to your family, to your friends, to your food, to your travels, to your place, to past generations, and most importantly, to future ones. Our actions, large and small, are all part of this puzzle of solving how we exist in equilibrium on our home planet. Our day-to-day -day choices add up, but more importantly, our collective voice on petitions at the cash register and in the voting booths is where we make systemic change. And while sometimes it feels like the planet is on fire, and sometimes it literally is, it's reassuring knowing there are thousands of nonprofit organizations out there who are hard at work fighting to protect your favorite park, your favorite beach, and your favorite peak. 
They're doing it on Earth Day and every day. So support them. Volunteer with them. Take action with them. Because we're all in this together. For more tips on what you can do this Earth Day, visit wsl.tv slash earthday. And to hear the original Declaration of Environmental Rights, stick around after these quick credits. Special thanks to our guests, our surfers, Connor Coffin and Lakey Peterson, and our nonprofit friends, Kira Redmond of Santa Barbara Channel Keeper, Linda Kropp of the Environmental Defense Center, and Michael Chiakos of the Community Environmental Council. These are just a few of the organizations that do this work in and around the Santa Barbara region. And we want to thank all of you for the work you do to protect Santa Barbara and Rincon and for the leadership you've demonstrated over the years to the world on Earth Day and every day. We've got links to these orgs and more in the show notes, so go check them out and support them. WSL Pure One Ocean is brought to you by a passionate group of people at WSL Studios. This episode was written and produced by Cody Minling, Kayla Moore, John Suhar, Ryan Fawcett, and me. With creative direction from Ryan Bucci and music supervision and editing thanks to Ryan Fawcett and Stu Chacon. Finally, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, we'd appreciate some love in the form of a rating, a review, a subscribe, or sharing with a friend. Email us at oneocean at wcellpure.org and find us on your favorite social network at wcellpure. Happy Earth Day, humans. This is the 1970 Santa Barbara Declaration of Environmental Rights, as written by Professor Roderick Fraser Nash. All people have the right to an environment capable of sustaining life and promoting happiness. If the accumulated actions of the past become destructive of this right, men now living have the further right to repudiate the past for the benefit of the future. And it is manifest that centuries of careless neglect of the environment have brought mankind to a final crossroads. The quality of our lives is eroded and our very existence threatened by our abuse of the natural world. Moved by an environmental disaster in the Santa Barbara Channel to think and act in national and world terms, we submit these charges. We have littered the land with refuse. We have encroached upon our heritage of open space and wild land. We have stripped the forests and the grasses and reduced the soil to fruitless dust. We have contaminated the air we breathe for life. We have befouled the lakes and rivers and oceans along with their shorelines. We have released deadly poisons into earth, air, and water, imperiling all life. We have exterminated entire species of birds and animals and brought others close to annihilation. We are overpopulating the earth. We have made much of the physical world ugly and loud, depriving man of the beauty and quiet that feeds his spirit. Recognizing that the ultimate remedy for these fundamental problems is found in man's mind, not his machines, we call on societies and their governments to recognize and implement the following principles. We need an ecological consciousness that recognizes man as member, not master, of the community of living things sharing his environment. We must extend ethics beyond social relations to govern man's contact with all life forms and with the environment itself. We need a renewed idea of community which will shape urban environments that serve the full range of human needs. We must find the courage to take upon ourselves, as individuals, responsibility for the welfare of the whole environment, 
treating our own backyards as if they were the world and the world as if it were our backyard. We must develop the vision to see that in regard to the natural world, private and corporate ownership should be so limited as to preserve the interest of society and integrity of the environment. We need greater awareness of our enormous powers, the fragility of the earth, and the consequent responsibility of men and government for its preservation. We must redefine progress toward an emphasis on long-term quality rather than immediate quantity. We therefore resolve to act. We propose a revolution in conduct toward an environment which is rising in revolt against us, granted that ideas and institutions long established are not easily changed. Yet today is the first day of the rest of our life on this planet. We will begin anew.